from the center of the universe and the home of your Grey Cup champion, Toronto Argonauts. It's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos podcast. Ben Grant, joined as always by JB. We've got a huge show for you today. News and notes, all sorts of things to cover from Adriano Belli trying to set a world record to the Dontrell Inman retirement, which came out of nowhere. The Theron Churchill trade, which also kind of came out of nowhere. Shane Ray signs in Buffalo. Plus, we've got some camp observations, some positional battles to highlight. I want to talk briefly about helmet decals. And we've got our world-famous schedule and predictions. JB, you and I nailed the regular season two years ago, like absolutely (laughs) nailed the regular season two years ago, blew it in the playoffs. Last year, we kind of bungled the regular season, but we knocked it out of the park, both with preseason predictions of Toronto Grey Cup. But I think I had Winnipeg, Toronto. I believe you had Saskatchewan, Toronto, but both with a Toronto win. So this is this is sure to be epic once again this year when we get to our final segment. So before we get into the heart of our podcast, uh, I just want to uh, have a quick word about uh, our title sponsor, Something in the Water Brewing. Now, obviously, we're getting closer to the CFL season, but maybe more importantly, JB, we're getting closer to the re-release of Something in the Water's uh, Longboat Pale Ale, which is a beer made essentially for Argos fans. And it's it's a beer that was made from a chance meeting with Darius Bladek. Again, we'll tell you this full story, and it's an amazing story. And there's so many entertaining elements to it that include Philip Blake and Muskoka chairs and all sorts of other good stuff, Lamport Stadium. So we'll give you all of that story in the weeks to come when Longboat Pale Ale is released. And tonight, what I've got on the go is a breakfast stout. This is the Pancake Bay Sweet Brunch Stout, which is another fantastic selection. I I teased this one last week, second in the world at a stout competition in London, which is pretty fantastic. And just uh, sampling it here, I can absolutely see why. So make sure you check out Something in the Water. Check out their website. Visit them in Liberty Village because, uh, yeah, they they brew great beer. They absolutely know what they're doing. News and notes. JB, let's start off with Adriano Belli. Uh, does it surprise you at all uh, that Belli is trying to break the world record for the longest naturally smoked sausage <laughs> no i mean if if you were to guess a former argo who would be hosting that contest it would probably not take you long to get the belly's name uh i'm surprised <laughs> they're bringing the gray cup anywhere near him i would assume there'll probably be security uh surrounding it based on him purposely breaking it uh the last time he was near it but uh yeah i I, it it is a kind of um absurd uh fundraising idea and uh that seems to that seems to connect to belly yeah it's it's perfect and raising money for sick kids hospital like it's it's such a he's always been amazing with charities that's that's always been the number one thing for him And, and as much as like you know we know what he was like on the field. And yes, he was not fun to play against on the field. There's no question about that. Belly is one of the nicest guys in the world off the field and will do everything he can 
uh, to to raise money for his charities. And this is just another example of that. And so the the 17 foot naturally smoked sausage, which I gather is supposed to be like he says it's going to be the diameter of a basketball. So this is, this is a pretty this is a pretty substantial sausage, which it would have to be, I guess, to to set a world record. They're holding the event uh, this Thursday, May 18th in the parking lot of Fresh House Foods, which is 71 Todd Road in Georgetown. And there's going to be uh, Argos past and present, some of the 2012 Grey Cup teams, some of last year's Grey Cup winning team. The Grey Cup will be there as well. There's going to be a sausage eating contest, I hear, which which I think will also be spectacular too. So I'm I'm interested to see how this event goes down because it is going to be it's going to be very belly. Everything about it will be very belly. But I think most importantly, they're going to raise a lot of money uh, for uh, for the kids. And so you you can't get better than that. That's a that's a great story. And we haven't heard much out of belly in a while. So so love hearing that. The Dental Inman retirement. How surprised were you? Because I, I don't think I, my guess is not very when you heard that Dontra Inman was retiring. No, uh I was I was more surprised that he signed um you know that this is the time of year where veterans just decide that no I I don't want to put myself through this and and very quickly pull the shoot um on camp you know um, you'll see it in the NFL too and I'm sure over the next week we're going to see a lot of uh one and done retirements guys or a couple days in just bail on camp because it's just too big an ask um physically mentally um it can be it, it, you know it really demands so much of you that guys know they're not ready to uh to commit that so i i i was not surprised i i certainly didn't have him on the roster yeah i'm the same i didn't quite know what to do with him i I really wondered like you, but for me, it was more about, it wasn't so much the grind, although that's obviously a part of it. And like you say, we've seen this before. For me, it was more the grind and the change in pay is so significant. So imagine yourself just the way that the average person can relate to this, because it's hard to relate to professional athletes, but imagine whatever it is you do for a living, you're you're an accountant, you're, you're a lawyer, you're uh, a... Uh, a mailman, whatever it is you do, whatever your job is, imagine deciding to do that job again, but for about 10% of the salary. And now imagine that that job is so physically demanding that every week it's the equivalent of getting into a, a car crash. And think about how excited you'd be to participate in something like that. And I think that's that's the reality. Guys that have spent years in the NFL the CFL as a job is not easier. In, in fact, I would say it's actually the other way around. I think it is a harder job to be a pro athlete in the CFL. I'm not saying the level is harder, but the work you put in, I think, is more. The punishment that you endure, I believe, is more. And so to go and do that and get paid really a fraction of what you were making before, it's just really hard to justify. And sometimes that first day of camp, as good as he looked, and and that's the thing, like everyone, everyone agrees, like he looked great on Sunday. He was ready to go. But I think just getting out there one more time, you look at the schedule ahead and you're like, you know what, I think I'm good. But to be able to call it a day in the double blue 
I think is a neat way to go. So this is almost like a one day signing retirement sort of thing, except he actually got to get it out on the field one more time in Argos double blue. So I'm, I'm choosing to look at this as a, as a, a, a positive end to, to Dontrell Inman's career. I think it's a, a neat thing that he got to retire as a Toronto Argonaut. The Theron Churchill trade, which broke, I think caught a lot of people off guard. It caught me off guard. There was a negative reaction to it initially. And JB, I think we can explain why the Argos made this deal and why it was what it was. Because on the surface, there's no question, it doesn't look like very good value for Toronto. So here are the details of the trade. Theron Churchill, uh, offensive lineman for the Toronto Argonauts, who's been uh, playing mostly at guard as a backup, um, as a little bit of tackle, but hasn't really got out there and 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 got on the field too much as a tackle. So a, a backup guard. But he was a first-round selection in the 2020 draft. The Argos had two first-round picks that year. They took Dejan Brissett with their first pick, which was second overall, and a few picks later took Theron Churchill, uh, who was playing right tackle at the time, uh, coming out of U Sports. And the plan was for him to be a tackle, but he never quite, uh, it never quite worked out that way for him. And he ends up getting traded for a sixth round pick uh, and traded to the Edmonton Elks. And so you're trading a former first round pick for a sixth round pick that can become a fifth. It's a conditional pick, can become a fifth round pick. But you compare that to something like the Jordan Williams trade. Jordan Williams, the first overall pick, still a round one pick from that same draft, and he's traded for a first rounder. So obviously there's there's a mile of difference in the trade, but it's because there's a mile of difference in value, right? Yeah, there's. <laughs> I think there's no comparison. I think Churchill was, you know, was was not who they had hoped he'd be with a first round pick. Um, he's a serviceable depth guy, but probably eight or nine, uh, on a depth chart in the offensive room. So it, it doesn't surprise me that there wasn't much to, to get back. Even if he does, you know, improve or become better with a different coach, that's not what his value was in terms of his time with the Argonauts. You know, he, he's not a starting offensive lineman, so I think people, you know, regardless of his pedigree, you're you're not going to get a lot of return for somebody who is not a starter. And I really think he may have been in a position this year where the Argos might not have kept him. Like this could have the alternative may have been eventually he gets released at the end of camp. I know certainly he would he wanted to be back in Edmonton. He's got a young family back in Edmonton. That's that's his home or near there rather. And so really Edmonton was the only place you could trade him too. And so you're not going to get a great, you're not going to get great compensation back. But I do think the alternative may have been releasing him. They've got a, they've got a, such a strong offensive line group and getting to see some of these younger guys uh, competing in camp. You just, you see right away, like why uh, this is okay for the Argonauts. And they get to do, they get to do a nice thing too. They get to send a player back home. They get a pick out of it. They don't get nothing out of it. But I think anyone that's upset about this and like, oh, it's a terrible trade. The Argos got ripped off. That didn't happen. It, it's not a great trade for value, but there wasn't going to be anything better. There was no there was no version of the story that ended with the Argos getting more than a fifth or sixth round pick from the Edmonton Elks. So 
if you look at it that way, I think, you know, was it a good trade? No. Was it a bad trade? Really? No, it's not. What the mistake, if there's a mistake in here and if there's any flaw in here, it was that maybe he, maybe he wasn't a first round draft pick in 2020. Maybe that's what you can criticize, but I don't think you can criticize the trade at this point. Shane Ray. Your guy, JB, signs <laughs> with your team, the Buffalo Bills. Uh, yeah. how's, that, how's that make you feel? Uh, well, they're certainly not my team, but uh, I great for Shane Ray. Uh, you know, anytime you have players who, who come to the CFL and grind and put together good film and then get shots at camp, uh, I think that's good for the league. Good for guys who who are considering whether to come up and play a couple of years, and and sometimes they come up and and just stay up. So I think in terms of attracting players to the league, that's a nice little bit of business just just to get the camp invite to see. He he clearly has an NFL first step, um. So I can see why he's getting a look, and you know, um, his buddy Von Miller probably had a word with the Bills as well. If he can stay healthy, I I don't see any reason he could not be uh, like a pass press specialist. Um, he 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 definitely was an elite player when healthy for the Argos, but that's a that you know that's a big if, and that's why he just has a camp invite and not a lot of money. But I like it for the league, you know, the same way the XFL trumpeted all their guys getting camp invites. Um, uh, I, I like it for the guys in the league, and you know, we'll see if maybe uh, a few more guys can can get a look without having to have uh, <laughs> a former teammate whispering in the coach's ears. This is a little bit off topic because I, I do want to come back to Ray just for a second. But uh, on that note, because you mentioned the XFL really making a big deal out of, hey, this this XFL player is now going off to an NFL camp. The CFL doesn't really do that oftentimes, like the league itself. You see that stuff, like Three Down Nation will talk about it. You'll see other articles about that sort of thing. But you don't typically get the CFL boasting and saying, look at all these guys we're sending to the NFL. And I'm not sure the CFL is wrong in that. Because I do think there's, I think the XFL in doing that is really acknowledging that they are a a stepping stone and not that the CFL isn't for a lot of these players, but the CFL has real legitimacy too. This is a league that's been around for a long time. This is not just a new league that started this year. And I don't think the CFL actually needs to say, look, we're sending these guys off to the NFL. They're the CFL. Everyone knows who they are. They've been around forever. So I'm a little bit torn on it, but I think ultimately I feel like, I feel like I don't want to see the CFL uh, trumpeting, as you say, the the NFL signings the way that the XFL does. Am I wrong on that? No, I I see your argument. Um, I I I don't see. Uh, yeah, I, I see the argument, and and I can see the discussion. I I don't see it as pretending that uh, or or acknowledging that the CFL is an inferior league. Um, I, I see it more uh, as a way of, of talking about uh, this. I, I think the more players in America see the CFL as a potential 
uh, scouting zone, the higher quality of player is going to be attracted. And yes, maybe they only stay a year or two, but some will stay more. But I, I think it will increase um, engagement, which is you know important, especially with all USFL and the XFL, a um, couple more leagues kind of fighting for players. I I don't I don't mind it. I don't I don't I don't I don't see it as um, kind of downplaying the CFL, but I get the argument. I, I can see why not to. The last thing I want to say on Shane Ray is that he, I wish so much that everybody could have seen Shane Ray in training camp both seasons because that was where he was at his best. And unfortunately, like we've talked about many times with Shane Ray, it's the staying healthy thing. If he can stay healthy, He's, he's a fantastic athlete. He's a really talented football player. And if he could stay 100% healthy, I wouldn't doubt him earning a roster spot or a practice roster spot or something like that with the Buffalo Bills. But he has had absolutely no luck at all and no ability to stay healthy after these amazing training camps like that. The 2021 training camp where he first came on the scene and, and people just couldn't touch him in those first few days. But then the wear and tear started almost immediately. And by the time the season came around, he wasn't really in, in that same sort of peak condition. And then we saw it again last year where, again, in camp, he looked great. He was used very sparingly because, again, the coaching staff must be very aware of this. And we get to that first game, the first game of the season against Montreal, and he looks lights out. He has a sack, a ton of pressures. He's all over the place. And then near the end of the game, I think it was on a goal line stand. I believe it was a QB sneak touchdown, first and goal from the one. And Ray got dinged up in a pile. And I remember seeing him running to the sideline. I don't know if he was holding his, his elbow or shoulder, something like that. And from that moment on, he just wasn't the same. And he obviously didn't make it to the end of the season there. But we've seen such brief moments. And so has the NFL. That's what happened to him in the NFL, too, with all the wrist injuries that he had. If he can, like, I hope so much that he can stay healthy for an entire year and show everybody what we got to see at camp. I think that would be a really nice, nice way for for Shane Ray to wrap things up. Let's talk about some camp observations. Before we get into specific things, JB, I'd, I'd love your perspective on what it's like having so many guys come back. Because I look at this Argos team at camp, you've got an entire coaching staff back, which is really rare. That just doesn't happen after winning a championship. You don't, you don't ever get to bring everybody back. And here they are with everybody back. You've got most of the players back. There's very few, like there's, I shouldn't say there's very few new faces. There are, there are are hundreds of new faces, but most of those faces really truthfully aren't going to be there come the regular season. The core of this team is pretty much all the same guys. You look at the starters, the projected starters, probably 19 of the 24 were guys that were here last year. So you're not talking about introducing a brand new offense, a brand new defense, or a brand new regiment. They've all stayed in these dorm rooms at the University of Guelph. They've played on this field. They've gone through this. And so it should be no surprise that it's gone so smoothly to this point, right? No, the the advantage of having the majority of your team back, same coaches, same shorthand, uh, guys know system, you're, you're already probably installing uh, a few more exotic things because you already have base down. 
um it's like it's like getting an extra month of training camp um so it's it's huge to 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 be able to just you know jump to the middle of the book and uh and work on that um you know there there are new players new defensive backs and um new quarterback so it isn't completely um you know uh a return but to have that many players back and that many coaches back uh is i think a really big advantage uh for the team to be able to to have a smooth camp and to be able to install things uh faster than maybe they would where you might not be able to install them till game three or something uh you'll be able to get that stuff in right away and we've been able to see the the three like the three different years couldn't be more different that 2020 season where everybody was new there were like two guys that, that were on the argos the previous year one coach everyone else was new and so of course it took a little bit of adjustment everything was brand new Second year, last year, they had a new defensive coordinator. There's a bunch of new guys on the coaching staff. A pretty good percentage of the team was new as well. And so, and then you've got this year where where barely anybody's new. So it's kind of interesting just to watch it from that point. But yeah, this is a this is a team that looks like they're at the end of training camp instead of at the beginning of training camp. And that's that's got to be a huge advantage going into a season where you can get to week five stuff in in ready for week one yeah, or in the exactly. artist case week two right i think that's the, that's your biggest advantage is the sophistication of, of the sophistication of your install and on that note we'll maybe transition into well i guess this is still camp observations here so we're not really transitioning into positional battles but i think on that note on sunday the first day of training camp the offense was ahead of the defense they were they were giving it to the defense. It wasn't the same story on Monday. The defense was definitely the the dominant force on on that day. But for day one, for the offense to be ahead of the defense is unheard of in training camp. That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in the regular season. The first few weeks, it is so much harder to get up to speed on offense. But the reason why is all those guys that were out there, every single guy that they had as sort of like their their you know group one was a returning guy. The newest guy is is basically Chad Kelly, who spent an entire season with this system and, and this offense last year. Everyone else was just kind of falling into place. So, of course, they were ahead of the defense. Those guys all know what they were doing. The defense had a couple new faces. So that didn't surprise me, but it's really weird to see. You never, ever see the offense ahead of the defense on day one of training camp. Couple other camp observations. There's there's a there's a funny story I gotta tell. I just thought this was the the most amusing thing. One on ones, you got Curly Gittens Jr. being covered by Deshaun Amos. Gittens Jr. runs a corner route, catches the ball. It's pretty tight coverage from Amos. And they they sort of acknowledge, you know, Gittens Jr. catches the ball. Amos lets him know he's right there. And then suddenly Gittens decides to turn it on and he turns on the Jets and he starts taking it to the end zone, which wasn't what people were doing in that drill. And Amos decides he's after him. And so he turns on the Jets too. And as they ran by me, they were both giggling audibly at the fact that 
that they're trying to outrun each other to the end zone. And Gittins just made it there and said something along the lines of, you know, I've got speed, I've got speed. And what I love about that is that's how football is supposed to be. That's how football is when you're a kid, you're playing around, you're laughing, you're having fun with your buddies. And a lot of it looked like that. And we saw that last year in practice too, where guys are just having a good time. Uh, guys are enjoy being around each other. There's so many of these guys that know each other well, that get along well. And I love seeing that just to hear them both laughing as they're running full speed after each other down the field, I thought was, was a, a really positive sign for the vibe that I'm getting from camp early on. The last camp observation, I'm going to give you a couple players that I thought really stood out. So one that I was kind of expecting, and, and these are both offensive linemen. I think that's kind of an interesting thing. And it speaks to, again, the strength of this positional group. You know who's a really good football player? Darius uh, uh, Sirocco. So Darius Sirocco picked up in the offseason coming from Ottawa last year. Sirocco looks really good. And they're going to have some problems when they start having to try and figure out where to put all these pieces. So they, you know, they had Bladek resting a little bit. He wasn't going full. It allowed them to kind of play around with the line a little bit. And as I'm watching this, the Argos have a great camp strategy they did this last year they did this the year before they just mix guys up in positional groups so you'll they'll send out a group where suddenly uh, suddenly they've got McKellar playing right guard left guard he's over a tackle now they they want guys getting reps in different spots because who knows what it's going to be like when you get into the season and once you're practicing the regular season you can't really afford the time to do that so they're moving guys all over the place and that just got my brain churning and thinking about the possibilities of, you know, what if what if Soraka was playing center? What if Nicastro plays guard? The what that free up could could then could you then have Hunter at tackle? Could then could you make a a an offensive line with with four or five Canadians? There, these are just the thoughts that are going through my head. I think they've got a really nice problem and. JB, I'm going to add to that too by talking about one of Toronto's draft picks this year, Edward Paradis from Houston Baptist. That guy's for real as well. Just watching them going through, going through one-on-ones, going through uh, drills, going through, just even watching his his technique, which you expect to be so raw typically coming out of college. First round draft picks, second round draft picks. And that's not even who we're talking about here. Guys, later on in the draft, you don't see typically looking that polished love what I saw out of Paradis. And so I'm not saying that he's ready to be a starter or anything yet, but I could absolutely see him winning a job as a backup right away. And so they're they're in a great position, but an uncomfortable one. You remember what it was like at the end of last season, JB, we're watching all those like 11 healthy offensive linemen, all capable of getting starting reps. I don't know what they do at that position, but I guess I guess it's a, a positive, and that's the only way you can look at it at this point, right? Yeah, it, it's a position that has lots of injury turnover. Um, you could potentially maybe package somebody if somebody pops in a preseason game. Maybe you can put together a package for a trade. But uh, I'm sure that they enjoyed having, you know, 10, 12 offensive linemen in their room. So if you can afford it, you know, that's fantastic. Let's get into some positional battles. And really, we're talking about three spots because I think we have, we don't know exactly how the O-line is going to line up. We have a pretty good idea. And most positional groups on the field, I think we feel similarly about. The receivers, we're not 100% sure. We'll talk about them in a second. 
The one corner, we're not sure, but we're pretty sure McFadden is going to play one corner spot. He did last year. They won a great cup with McFadden in that spot. He's likely going back there. But the other corner spot vacated by Jamal Peters with the Atlanta Falcons. We'll talk about that battle a little bit. And the suddenly free boundary halfback spot where Shaq Richardson played last year is also open. And so we talk about that a little bit too. So I think you and I are on the same page. Going back to receiver, we know that DeVars Daniels is going to be out there starting. We don't know if he's going to end up at, at X or at W. We figure he's he's 100% going to be a starting receiver on the boundary side. There are some options to go with him. We know Eric Rogers now gone. He was not really present last year. And they really didn't have a steady guy to go to last year. And that's why Daniels played so much in the slot. There are options for them this year. I think if it were me, I probably put... I think I, I probably put Markeith uh, Ambles on the side with DeVars Daniels. I think I like those two together. They only did it for one game last year, but I love that combo. And again, just like with the O-line, you're seeing in camp, they're moving guys all over the place, testing new combinations. But I wouldn't be surprised to see that setup on opening day. The field side gets more interesting because I had assumed all along that we would see Gittins Jr. and Cam Phillips. I'm less and less sure that we're going to see Cam Phillips in that spot. Gittins Jr. for sure. But I think the the other two receiver spots may be up for grabs. And and that's where you're looking at Dejan Brissett, who needs to perform. Former second overall draft pick 2020 has to have a good season. Otherwise, I could see Toronto moving on completely. And, and he's looked good. He's had a really nice camp to this point. We're, we're on day three, but he looks good so far. Um, but Tommy Neal also, and you forget what, I, I don't know why, it's something about Tommy Neal. He's just so big. You forget how fast he actually is. Seeing him running away from DBs always surprises me. I had to look back at his combine numbers. He's a really fast receiver. I forgot that he was running in the high four fives, low four sixes. And yeah, he can get going, but he's misleading because of his size. But I think he's in the mix too. And then you've got all sorts of exciting American receivers. I don't think any of the new guys are necessarily battling it out. But seeing a uh, seeing a, a, a more polished Jeremiah Haddell, seeing Cam Phillips battling for it, seeing Demonte Coxey, who looked really good. Uh, and this is this should have come in the last segment, JB, but another amazing story. Uh, you don't normally get a lot of country music played at Argos practice. They did drop some country beats uh, at, at practice and seeing Demonte Coxey dancing to Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy uh, was, was highly entertaining. He was 100% into it, as he always is with his dancing. But his football looks pretty good on the field, too. So... That positional battle, like, where would you go if you're looking at those guys? Like, do you do you go with, do you try and go with another Canadian and start start Brissett or Neil? Do you think you go more American there? Are you looking for just who are the best guys? Because the Canadians probably don't really matter too much. We've got enough on the team. Yeah, I think you're just looking to go with the best, the best talent. They're not in a position. You you can you can make the numbers work for for the Canadian stuff. I would never I would never really let that be a factor in determining who to keep. I think you keep the best players and, you know, find a way to, to meet the rules, to be honest, if I'm running, if I'm running things, I'm, I would never cut a player who is talented because I had the ratio issue. I just find a way 
there are other ways to meet that ratio. I think on some teams there aren't. I think sometimes you actually have to. Sometimes you have to sacrifice talent to meet the ratio. I don't think that's the issue with the Argos. The Argos have talent through the roof in terms of their Canadians. That's that's not going to be a problem. They could easily start nine Canadians without even flinching. But I think if what you're saying is true, and I tend to think you're right, if that's the case, then I would expect that the receive the five starting receivers are going to end up being, and again, I don't know exactly where they're going to fit, but you'll see Daniels, you'll see Ambles, you'll see Gittins Jr. That'll be the lone Canadian receiver. And then you're going to see a combination of either like Phillips and Hadell or Phillips and Coxey. And I, I'm thinking more and more that we're going to see Demonte Coxey out there. Um, in his time starting last year looked really good. Do you remember that play against Ottawa where he didn't get a touchdown for it? He got pushed out at the one, but it was, it was one of the, one of my favorite plays of the season. He just caught this ball, broke a tackle, stiff armed a guy into the ground, knocked another guy on his back before finally being pushed out at the one. He's a load. He's an incredible athlete. And, and he's, he's just one of those guys that carries so much energy with him too. So that that would be one of my early camp favorites to earn a starting spot uh, by the time we get to the Argos uh, regular season kickoff in week two. Uh, let's talk corner for a second. So Peters in Atlanta, as we said, opens up that other corner spot. This is an interesting one too. Is your is your instinct here? Because they brought in a ton of new guys. If you're the Argos staff, are you thinking that the replacement was a guy that was already in the building? Are you leaning towards going with a guy that was here last year? And there we're talking about maybe that's maybe that's Priester, maybe that's Robertson Daniel. Uh, I guess you could go you could go Sutton. There's a few other directions you could go there. Or are you looking at the 500 new American corners that they brought in to compete for this job, like like Parnell Motley and like uh, Stiggers and and all these other exciting uh, American DBs that are brand new to the CFL. What's what's your what's your instinct tell you? Well, I think as a coach, you have to you have to try as much as you can to not um, make decisions based on relationships. You know, in terms of professional football you you want to you want to evaluate everybody equally and 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 pick the best athlete so that's the challenge to to not go with people who know you know to, to not mistake talent for understanding of scheme and to be sure to identify you know if you have if you have players who um who can flash more then that's what i would do is you know it's professional sports i i don't if uh, if somebody's better, if somebody has more natural talent, then they'll pick up the scheme. I th- I think the tricky part is not not being blinded by scheme comfort. I think I think my instinct tells me Robert Priester is going to be the guy starting in that other corner spot, but I don't think it's necessarily because he was here last year. I think he might just be the most talented guy. Like I, I, I remember when the Argos first signed him, as I always do, I'll look through some of their film and see, okay, what did it, what is it that the Argos are getting here? And his, his Wyoming film where he's playing corner 
is really strong. He's a highly talented corner. Now he played a little bit all over the place. He didn't really see much time at corner at all last year. He was he was playing some halfback. He was playing, I think they had him at Sam for a little bit as well. And and he was just sort of learning all the different spots that he could. But I think his most natural position is at corner. I, like he's not he's not a huge guy, 5'9", 180. He's not a guy I love having in the halfback or the Sam spot. I'd rather have him on the outside. But I think that really suits his his skill set anyway. And so even with, even if you take out the fact that he's ahead of everyone else in terms of scheme and system, I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of the day, Robert Priester is the the corner opposite uh, Tavares McFadden. That said, he's going to get a really good push from, from Motley. He's going to get a really good push from Stiggers, who's so interesting to watch. This this guy, like never having played, he's, he's my most, the, the guy I'm most fascinated by in, in camp because of the fact that Quantez Stiggers has never played in any sort of college system. And I just think that's so unique. You just don't see that in professional football. And he doesn't look lost. Like he completely looks like he belongs out there. And, you know, he's played, you know, played in the fan control league and has some some experience, obviously. But yeah, he's he's a highly interesting guy to watch. And I don't think, I don't think he'll be a guy that's actually challenging to start week one. But man, his learning curve is just gonna absolutely have an upward trend um from from like today all through the end of the season i think he's going to be a heck of a player by the time they get to season's end he's a guy that i think probably starts on the practice roster but i wouldn't be surprised to see him in the starting lineup at some point this season because he he's got talent so many of these talented guys and then jb if we can transition to halfback i remember when i talked to the first time i i ever interviewed coach bell I remember him talking to me about his defensive philosophy and what he valued the most was a triangle between his halfbacks and his sandbacker. To him, that was where you wanted to have the guys you trusted most. And his guys, Coach Bell's guys, you look back at guys with Calgary ties, guys like like Shaq Richardson and 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 Amos and and looking at that structure, that triangle, and they had Chris Edwards in that triangle the last couple of seasons. I think if we're looking for a halfback, this is going to be one of his guys. This is going to be someone that was on the team. And if it's not going to be if it's not going to be Maurice Carnell, and you know if Carnell's not going to be ready to go to start the season, for example, then. I, I think it's got to be Robertson Daniel. And he got some time playing side by side with Priester on the, the boundary side. And Robertson Daniel is like having another coach out there. You see after reps, Robertson Daniel throws his arm over a new corner, over an experienced corner. They walk to the sideline. Daniel's been around. like He, he knows this game now. He's now into his 30s, but he still looks good. And you don't need to have the same elite speed that he had back when he was 24. He doesn't have that anymore. He's not the same athlete that he was when he's 24. He's had so many injuries. He's older. It happens to all of us. But he's he's got it up here. He's got the knowledge. And and having another coach on the field like that, I think it's going to be so tempting for Coach Bell to put Robertson Daniel in that halfback spot because I think he gives you what the Argos lost in, in losing Shaq, not only in the leadership and the experience, but I think also in the little bit of fire, the spark that 
the team lost in losing Chris Edwards and losing Shaq, Robertson Daniels got a little bit of that. And and we'll I'm sure we'll see that in his week one or week two face paint as he comes out of the tunnel, uh, which, you know, he he loves to put on a show. I think I think that's probably your starting halfback for for week two. Any thoughts on that? We good to we good to go? <laughs> no, I have I have no thoughts on that. You, but you, you like aside from injuries, like you you do you are a Robertson Daniel believer. It's just that he uh, hasn't really had a chance yeah, to show as much. I don't know if I would go so far as believer. I'd have to I'd have to see more. I and I get that. I get that. It's been he's been hurt in, in like week one uh, since becoming an Argo. It's just I, been. I mean, I like the idea of him. Yeah. Yeah, but he was, you know, he's a good player in Calgary. And yeah. again, he's got that, like, he's got everything that Coach Bell values. And I think it's so important when you're playing in in the inside like that. So I, I expect to see him there. All right. I got to briefly address helmet decals. People are very upset about the placement of helmet decals on the new Argos helmet. And I'm going to quickly address that. I promise I won't take 20 minutes on this. Like I kind of want to because I love talking about helmets. Some people have noticed that on some of the new Argos helmets, the decal is very far back. It's true. It is on some, not on all. The way that these decals work, they're put on by hand. They're they're not like a normal sticker. They're like, it's a really thick a heavy plastic sticker that has a lot of uh, flexibility, malleability, is that a word, to it. And it allows you to kind of like squeeze out the air bubbles as you're applying them. But these are put on by hand. They're not put on by machine. And so you've got, in this case, like the equipment manager putting on, on these decals. You get them into roughly the right place and then you start smoothing them out from the center. And then the actual sticker sort of uh, comes together, stretches apart to get rid of those air bubbles. And you've got a nice looking sticker at the end. The problem is not all helmets are designed the same. And on some of these helmets, it's really difficult to find a spot for them. On some of those new speed flexes, for example, you've got parts of the chin strap that are actually covering the decal. You've got holes in the helmet with those speed flexes. And, and some of the other that I don't even know which helmet that is, that sort of oblong looking helmet. He's got some really odd placement of, of holes and ventilation and other things. And you don't really want to have the logo over that. So it means you have to sometimes put them at slightly different angles. You got to put them a little more forward, a little more back. And on some of these helmets, you just have to put them a little further back. And I think, unfortunately, on some of the helmets that have been, some of the snapshots that have been taken and spread through Twitter, they happen to be a few of the helmets where the logo is just a little further back. And yes, it looks a little weird. Most of the helmets are not like that. Most of them are up in the proper place. It's only guys that are wearing that that one certain helmet where they are further back. And yeah, it looks weird. But they don't all look like that. Trust me, seeing them on the practice field, they look fantastic. This is a gorgeous looking helmet. Like I've said from day one, the logo is not too far back in most of them. All right, JB, it is time for our world famous schedule and predictions. Uh, this is this is basically it. We are setting what is going to happen. Um, no need to tune in until next season after we're done with this. So, JB, let's go. Let's go week by week through this. Let's see if we can nail this like we did two weeks ago after being a little bit off last year in the regular season. So, 
It's a bye week one. You and I have already been very vocal about how much we hate that. Uh, it's It worked out okay for the Argos last year, but only just barely. They, re- they really shouldn't have won that opener against Montreal if it weren't for that missed 23-yard field goal at the end. But a week two open at home against Hamilton. This is the, the banner unfurling. This is going to be celebrations. How do you see this game going to open the season? Yeah, I, I think they win that game. They they have the bye. Hamilton has to play the week before against Winnipeg. If they don't win this game, I think they're in tons of trouble. Home opener, you have an extra week to practice. This has to be a win. I'm going to go the other way on this. I think this oh is a loss. God. If they don't win this game, close the close the barn. <laughs> I don't think that's I don't think that's the case. I don't think this is a panic. I don't think they win the game. Here's why. Do you remember a couple of years ago when the Jays assembled that like what was supposed to be the super team and everyone was talking about how good they were going to be? And on opening day, they had all this celebration and they were on the Jumbotron about all these different media outlets predict, predicting them to get to the World Series. And then they went out and lost 74 nothing. There's going to be, it's going to be really hard to avoid that. Not only are we talking about Grey Cup hangover, which Coach Dinwiddie has been really pushing the guys at camp, reminding them that this is a new season, last year is done, move on. It's easier said than done. This is a team that just won the Grey Cup. They're going to be celebrating it that night in front of Hamilton, who has been there and lost it again and again and again. And the Tiger Cats are going to be standing on that sideline with steam coming out of their ears as that banner comes down. And they are going to they are going to get let out of their cage uh, and be like an absolute wildfire. Uh, and I think you're going to get. I think you will get the best Hamilton Tiger Cats game of the entire year. No, I don't. In that I, game. I just couldn't disagree more. Not coming off playing Winnipeg. It's not two teams opening the season. It's 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 one team that has to play the number one team in the league, and one team that gets to not do anything but practice. I just think that tips the balance. I, I just don't see it that way because Hamilton's going to lose against Winnipeg in that opener. Yeah, but that's going to be a tough game. That I is know. not going to be like that's going to be a physically draining game. I, I just think it, it that toll, even though it's early, is is a lot. I feel pretty strongly about this one. I think okay. we're going we're gonna to have to make a side wager. We're going to have to bring one of our well, old uh, I sub mean, We'll see back. Like how it looks. For me, the Argos have to dominate the first half of the schedule because the second half is really uphill. And I uh, think the, they do, but I think that begins okay. in week three. So right. let's move to week three. So uh, at Edmonton, uh, I've got this down as a win simply because I just don't think Edmonton's very good. The Argos played terribly in their game against Edmonton last year and still won. And they, they had their probably their worst game of the year against Edmonton last year. This is a win, I'm assuming, for you? It, it is. It, it, it does feel like it's an optimistic win because it does feel like a trap game, especially if they beat Hamilton in a you know really kind of uh juice filled opener and then you go to Edmonton and nobody cares and it's barely televised and you could see how easily it would be to to not bring the heat there but I'm I'm really hoping that they realize how much they have to make hay in the first eight games and the very next week, we're now in week four, game three. They host the BC Lions. I think this is a win too. I just think I think it's really tough for BC. I think it's for tough for any team to travel across the country. We see it going the other way. We've oh man, have we ever seen it going the other way? 
and I think it's tough for BC too. They have struggled uh, coming to Toronto uh, the, the last couple of years. And I think this is going to be uh, another Argos win. It'll be a tight game, but I think the Argos are 2-1 and one at this point, having dropped their opener and they string together back-to-back wins against Edmonton and BC. How do you see that week four game? Yeah, I see them. I see them going out three and out. Okay, that's um, a nice. That's you know, a nice BC, start. BC comes to Toronto. Um, they, uh, you know, it 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 it's hard to travel across the country. Um, yeah, I think the Argos feel it. They've shown to be a very good home team. Two of the first three are at home. Um, I'm counting on them to win that game. Yeah, I think they do put up a lot of home wins this season. It'll be a little bit like two years ago where they just couldn't lose at home. And then they've got another buy, their second buy. Oh man, I hate I hate their I hate their buy schedule again. And then we go into the week six game. Uh, this is at Montreal. I don't think Montreal is a very good team. I've got this down as a win, and now I've got a three game win streak going here. Is this a win for you coming off the buy? Yeah. Uh, again. Um... Montreal is uh, is you know has a game the week before, and I think that um, having having to play that game where Toronto's coming off a bye, I just think that's such a huge advantage. And Montreal is a team that probably is going to take uh, half the season to kind of get better. So I think early. This is a win, even in Montreal, a place where the Argos almost never win. I. I I do have it as a win. And the very next week is, for one of us, a revenge game as the Argonauts travel to Hamilton for week seven. And this is where I think they they get revenge on what I had as an opening season loss. I think they win in Hamilton. I think they actually pummel the Tiger Cats in Hamilton in this game. <laughs> yeah, and, I have that as a loss. Yeah, and so we've evened that out. But I, but I think one of those two things happen. I think whatever happens in that opening week, if you're right and the Argos win that opener, I do think they lose in Hamilton in week seven. But I just think it's going to go the other way around. But here we are with them at the same record. We're through week seven. We have them at four and one, just different ways to get there. And then things start to get, it's, it's really week eight where it does start to get a little tougher because week eight, everybody but me is heading out to Halifax. I will be on the other, I'll be on the other side of the country. I'm in Victoria uh, for, for that game. But JB, you'll be in, in Halifax watching the Argos do what against the Rough Riders? Um, I, I do have them winning. Um, I think that even against your number three ranked Rough Riders, I know the Rough Riders will be looking for revenge, but I have to feel that uh, Toronto has a good feel for how they want to run the week, the rhythm of the week, you know, where they're going to eat meals, where they're going to travel, where they're going to practice. They have a good template. It worked last year. Just follow that template again. Um, the Halifax crowd is will be a little different than the Acadia crowd. I think there's a chance that there's more Toronto fans in Halifax uh, than there were in Acadia. Um, so I like I like Toronto to pull that out, actually. 
I think it's going to be mostly green. I think that's going to be a Saskatchewan win. Like it was pretty close to being a Saskatchewan win last year. It was only the heroics of Winton McManus in, in just in a ball that Cody Forjardo should not have thrown. McManus made a great play for the pick six. Without that, if the, if Saskatchewan gets another first down, that game's over. Well, so, Saskatchewan has to fly to BC and then fly to Halifax. It's I know I saw their path. Actually, their whole travel schedule is a mess. Just so look at their not, schedule. That's not great. So I I do I do factor that in a little. It's true. I get that. I have that one down as a loss. You got it as a win. Let's move to week nine. This is at Calgary. I've seen this movie. This <laughs> yeah. is a loss, especially yeah. if I, will I not, am there. I don't even think I'm going to watch that game. <laughs> so disgusting. Yeah. I have it as a loss, too. No, oh, thank man. you. I would... I. I can't describe what was the score in the one that I was at last uh, year in Calgary was 17 like, 14 or some nonsense. No, I, I think the Argos had like one. It, it felt like it? that anyway. Oh, it was it Terrible. was rough. No, the, the defense runs their routes for them. It's embarrassing. Week 10, they're back home for two straight. They've got Ottawa and then Calgary again. How do you have them do against uh, the Red Blacks in week 10? Yeah, I have them uh, at home winning against the Red Blacks. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the Red Blacks may be improved, but not so much that they're going to be Toronto in Toronto. Uh, I like I like Toronto to take care of business there. I agree. And I, I think I think these will be I think every Ottawa game is going to be good. They play three times this year. I think they're all going to be tight as spoiler alert here. But I do think Toronto wins all three of these games There's against Ottawa. A little unevenness there, too. Uh, Ottawa plays Saskatchewan on the Sunday before the game. Right. Um, and Toronto plays on the Friday. So a couple of extra days. Yeah, that actually, as much as I hate the bias schedule, a lot of these things did work out well for Toronto when you look half. at that. Yeah, and but it then, goes, I know, that, that, I know. Right, for me, first eight, ten games, they really, you really want to do well because in almost every week, the bias schedule or where teams play works out for Toronto, and then, um, as you would expect, the, the, the shoe drops and... Uh, the second half of the season is a little more uphill. And then there's their last bye of the year in week 11. And then <laughs> I know so early. I know it is. And then week 12, they host Calgary. This is going to be a win. They are going to beat the Stampeders for the first time since the 2021 opener at McMahon. This, uh, the reason why they're coming off a bye for one, and I yep. just, I don't think Calgary is is what they were before. I think this is a win. And you know how much all the all the former Calgary guys in Toronto, like they, they don't want to put up another another goose egg. They're going to win no, this game. No, I, I agree. And once, you know, I think, again, it is playing a team who played the week before and you're coming off a bye. You know, that should be a win for you. You know, unless you're not a very good team. That's a real competitive advantage. So I I feel like those games, you know, as a coaching staff, you should consider those must wins. The following week, Labor Day at Hamilton. Last year worked out very well for the Argos. I think we're back to the old format. I think Hamilton wins this one in Labor Day. <laughs> I went um, I went back and forth on this one. Uh, I because I had them losing the last. I have it more like back and forth, win loss, win loss. Uh, I have them winning Labor Day because I have Hamilton coming home from, from BC. Yeah, and that's I, that's a that's a bit of a trip. I could see that happening. I just I have trouble seeing Hamilton losing back to back Labor Days. I think I'm just shell shocked after so many 
just Labor Day, not even just Labor Day losses, Labor Day blowouts, like painful Labor Day experiences. And yeah, last year I, wasn't I like, enough. Well, to... I feel like the magic is broken. I feel like the Argos for a long time kind of psyched themselves out. And now it's not that big a deal to go in there and take that win. I, I think they're ready to go take it again. Maybe. Week 14, they're hosting uh, Les Alouettes. And again, I just don't think Montreal's good. I think this is a pretty easy win. And for me, I have them coming off a loss against Hamilton. So that even more to me is going to get you pretty focused uh, for the Alouettes. So I think that's a week 14 win. And I have the reverse. I have that as kind of a down game after the Labor Day rush. Um, so I have I have Montreal, you know, come kind of rounding into uh, rounding into shape uh, as they get a little later in the season. I, I like Montreal to win there. And I think we're going to be opposite on this next one too. Week 15, because I have them winning in week 14, I think they lose in Montreal. First of all, it's hard to play Montreal as we've outlined. This is a back-to-back situation. It is so hard to win both legs of the back-to-back in against a divisional opponent. I, I just see this as they're going to lose one of those two. And for me, they're going to lose in Montreal. They win the week before. Yeah, I mean, that's logical. I have it the other way around. I yeah. have them... I have them uh, you know, coming down from the Hamilton Labor Day win and then getting their act back together in Montreal. And down into the final stretch, they're hosting Hamilton for the <laughs> for 17th time. Uh, this is the last me- meeting until probably the Eastern final. And Hamilton, I, I just don't think is as good a team as Toronto. Uh, Toronto responds at home and and wins that game. Uh, is this a win for you as well? No, I, I have them going back and forth. Win, loss, right, because you loss. have the Labor Day loss, yeah, right? Okay. So I have that as a loss. And then the toughest game of the whole year. Uh, they are end of September. They traveled to Winnipeg for a Friday night game. And I just, I don't see this. I This is tough. Winnipeg's the best team in the league on paper. And they've shown it on the field in almost every game. But the Grey Cup last year, I think Winnipeg wins this one. Yeah. And Winnipeg coming off uh, a bye. Like, Winnipeg doesn't play the week before. Um, they're going to want to beat Toronto. Uh, that, I have that an L in ink. Yeah, I, I feel pretty similarly. The following week, they're hosting the Elks. I think the Elks are done at this point. Uh, they, I believe, would have three games remaining at that point. I think they're probably mathematically done. And just not a great team still. They'll, they'll be better. They're, they're going to have some real games. They're going to upset some people this year. They're going to get a win at home at some point. Actually, a few. But they're not going to win on this night at BMO. Uh, that's a win for the Argos. I have it as a win. Um, I think it'll be tough because, you know, Edmonton, the, like the second half of the season, the Argos play a number of games against teams that, that had the bye the week before. Edmonton has the bye the week before. Um this is the kind of game that could kind of make their season because they're not going to the playoffs. Um, coach will really want it. Coach Jones. I I have it as a win, but that's a, I circle that game as, as dangerous because uh, you know, the last five games I think are really tough for the Argos. I think it's, they're going to, I think you could easily see them losing three or four of the last five games. So I I am a little concerned. Week 19, they host the Red Blacks. Uh, I have that as a win, but that's one that I circled because I think the Red Blacks are fighting for a playoff spot. And I don't don't think you have them in the mix probably at that point, but I think they will be. And I think they're going to be 
really giving it everything they got. I still have it as an Argos win, but I have that circled as a dangerous game. I have it as a win as well. I will we, not give I will not give Otto respect until they tear it from my cold my cold dead hands. Week twenty, they're at Saskatchewan. This is this is tough. They they won there last year, but that was not a normal team. Saskatchewan, half the team had COVID. They they were they, they were they were in so much trouble. They were starting their their fourth string quarterback in that game, and Toronto barely pulled that one out. It took a seventy yard touchdown from Curly Gittens Jr., a late touchdown uh, from Cam Phillips uh, to to pull that one out. And I just, that was Jake Dolagala quarterbacking for Saskatchewan. And so it's just so tough to play there. The Argos have not the last few years traveled West very well. So I think that's a loss in week 20. Yeah, same. Week 21 wraps up with a game in the nation's capital. I have them winning that uh, final game of the season against the Red Blacks. Uh, And I think you probably have them dropping this game, not needing it, right? Uh, I do. I have them dropping it, not needing it. Yeah, because the way I'm sort of adding this up, yeah, that and that would end up with if we. I think we're both at eleven and seven at this point, and that sounds just about right. That's what their record was last year, and I think this is a very similar team uh, to what they were last year. So eleven and seven. This wins the East in my books. Does this win your East? Yeah, I, 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 I believe much like last year. I believe like. You know, the 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 way they went through it last year was perfect. You get into a big lead in the first half of the season. Uh, you kind of hang on till the end and 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 end up, you know, taking it by a game because the other teams took a little longer to get going. Uh, I see something similar this year, the way the schedule plays out. I think I, I can't imagine 11 wins does not win the East. Um, I know you love Hamilton more than me. Um I don't see their plan B if if the quarterback is not washed. Um, you know, if Levi doesn't have it anymore, you know, I I don't I don't see them putting up twelve or thirteen wins. Um, but yeah, this eleven wins, I I feel pretty confident on it. I feel pretty confident that that they get to eleven, but it really they really need to go like six and two. To start the season, if they're less than that, I think 11 becomes um, a much, much harder goal because they will uh, start playing teams coming off buys instead of the reverse. Uh, The matchups aren't great. You know, those last seven games, uh, I I hope they do not need to go into those last seven games coming away five and two or something. I think that's going to be really tough. Let's do our quick playoff run. And why don't I give you my playoff run and then you give me your sort of playoff mm-hmm. run. We'll just sort of go through Toronto's stuff and then also pick a great cup winner. So my my playoff run ends badly. And I apologize, Toronto Argonauts fans. I, I, have a, I have a bad feeling about this. And I don't really have a lot to justify it with other than just knowing the great cups in Hamilton this year. The idea of coming off a, a Grey Cup win last year, I think it's going to be really tough to get back there again. And I have them winning the East, but I have them losing at BMO in the East final to the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And um, that's that's going to be a really tough one for Argos fans. However, what will make that slightly more palatable is that I think it's going to be a Winnipeg-Hamilton Grey Cup 
And I think I think the Blue Bombers are going to win it once again in Hamilton, and it is absolutely going to crush that city. And if there's any positive takeaway from for Argos fans from watching the Argos lose in the East Final, it would be watching the Hamilton Tiger Cats lose yet another great cup to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and again in the city of Hamilton. That's how my season ends. How does yeah, it end that, for that's, you, JB? That's, that's fair. Um, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to, I mean, having rookie or, or really young quarterbacks in the playoffs is generally not a recipe for success. Um, it's not uncommon or unusual for the older quarterbacks to really, you know, step up in those playoff games. So, you know, Chad Kelly versus uh, Bolivai in a playoff game. I can't say that I'm pumped for that, but I'm going to give Toronto the nod at home uh, to get into the cup and to lose to a very, very good Winnipeg team. I know it's boring to pick Winnipeg, but I, I think like any team, you know, whether it's the, you know, the, Edmonton Oilers or the Detroit Red Wings or the New England Patriots or the San Antonio Spurs. It is an incredibly talented franchise that got better. They don't have, I don't see any question marks on their roster. The roster where is Even ridiculous. as much as I like Toronto, I can come up with at least three pretty significant questions. And I don't see any questions in Winnipeg. And they're going to be mad as heck that they, I'm sure they feel that they blew uh, that great cup. So Winnipeg's on a mission. I, I don't see anybody beating Winnipeg. I really don't. Well, that will just about do it for us on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see you.